What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? I don't know what happened yesterday. That was that was kind of strange. Something weird was going on. Uh, anyway, I think we're back to normal now, right? Yeah, everything is, is back to normal. We uh, are here on our typical Friday afternoon release and should be continuing to do so for the foreseeable future so hope you got a kick out of yesterday's episode we certainly did filming it i, I hope you check the date too uh, this is actual episode 41 we're, we're calling that 40.5 right i think yeah in in the actual episode we called it 40 which is hilarious because we already had an episode 40 but uh <laughs> whoops that's all good. This is episode 41, and today we are talking about our Draft Chaff Hero for Call Time. We do this for every single set. If you're not familiar with the show kind of sub-theme, um, we like to select a single card from every set that really overperformed in the draft environment. And generally, this is a card that isn't going to see constructed play or doesn't see a, mu- a lot of constructed play, which is why we call it a Draft Chaff Hero, and is something that either warped the format around itself or really stuck out in the pre- in the past. We've done Ruin Crab and um, Seasoned Hollow Blade as well. So we've got a few different episodes like that you can go back and, and check out if you're interested in seeing what we've done for previous sets. We'll get to our Draft Chaff Hero for this episode in just a moment but of course before we get into our main topic we need to cover some housekeeping if you're interested in communicating with us outside of the show or any any sort of back and forth banter you may have for us check out our discord that is certainly the best place to reach us the link to that is in the episode description as well as on the twitter page we just uh added a pauper channel for a constructed uh which is as we've been hearing basically the draft chaff constructed format so i'm excited to get involved with some pauper discussions and of course, Strixhaven spoilers are alive and well as well, so hop on over to our Discord if you're interested in talking all things Strixhaven. And of course, the show is brought to you by you via the Patreon. That's right, the Patreon is the best way you can support the show directly. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash pod if you aren't already. We have five different tiers over there, ranging from $2 a month up to $10 a month, and of course, you can give more if, that's so, uh, if you feel so inclined for that. We are... Something we don't really mention week in and week out, one thing that we have set up over at the Patreon is a stretch goal. We have currently a little more than 50% to our stretch goal, and once we hit that stretch goal, we will be uploading video versions of the podcast each and every week. So if you're interested in seeing that, that kind of content, definitely check out the Patreon, see if there's a tier that works out for you. We've got things involving stickers, some show notes, access, uh, access to bloopers for the episodes, things like that, so... Give that a go, and if it's not your thing, no worries. Just uh, maybe share the show with with some friends. That helps us out a lot as well. Thanks to all our current patrons and future patrons. That brings us to our crack draft type thing. Ben, this is a pack of yours, so why don't you walk us through it? Sure thing. So this is actually from the, I don't know how long it's going to be going on, but the core set draft. This is a really weird thing. I don't think they've done anything like this before. It's almost like a chaos draft, but not really, because everyone opens the same type of pack of each at the same time. So it goes M19, M20, M21. Now, each of these environments were pretty different on their own. So getting to smush them all together led for a pretty interesting draft experience. Now, I'm only in my third pick here. So I'm on pick three, pack one. So still an M19. My first pick, I just slammed Demanding Dragon. Barely looked at the rest of the pack. It's a five mana five, five flying dragon with upside. Uh, It says when it enters the battlefield, it deals five to target opponent unless that player sacks a creature. So honestly, you're playing this just as a five and a five, five flyer. And then if you happen to get that upside, sometimes it's just a giant ravenous chupacabra. 
Other times it domes them for five if it's a control deck. So always oh, it's going to be great. My second pick, I followed up with, uh, it was Buddy there, Volcanic Dragon, which is a slightly worse rate, but still pretty solid. This is a four red red for a four four dragon. Just has flying and haste. This might seem a little unexciting, but in a core set, this kind of creature can go a long way. Maybe your opponent has played out some dorky vanilla-esque creatures, and you just kind of go over the top with this huge flyer. Uh, now, these two creatures pair pretty well with uh, small little creatures that get in early. Notably, I have none of which yet, because we're only two picks in. So here in pack three, we have some very interesting options. Now, there's a bunch of stuff in this pack. There's Essence Scatter, there's Giant Spider, there's Root Snare, uh, Trumpet Blast, a lot of these magic staples. Now, the cards that I'm looking for, uh, notably the rare is missing and an uncommon are missing, uh, but I'm looking at a few uncommons and a few commons as well. So here we have Inferno Hellion, which is three and a red for a Hellion. It's a 7-3 Trample. Oh, look at those stats. It does have a little bit of a downside. It says at the beginning of each end step, if Inferno Hellion attacked or blocked this turn, its owner shuffles it into their library. So a downside, right? Maybe your opponent just takes the seven and then it goes away. Next to it, we have Meteor Golem, which is a seven mana, three, three. It's a, a colorless creature. It's an artifact creature. It's a golem. And when it enters the battlefield, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Speaking of ravenous chupacabras... Yeah, I mean, Meteor Golem's pretty much always good. I can't really think of a format off the top of my head that it was a bad card in. If you can get to 7 mana, getting a body that's not super insignificant, like a 3 is not small, really, and getting rid of their best permanent, not just creatures, but any permanent on their side of the board, is a huge upside. Another creature I want to take a look at here is Viashino Pyromancer. This is a 1 in a red for a 2-1 Viashino Wizard. And it has whenever... Vashino Pyromancer enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to target player or planeswalker. I, I think of this as, uh, I, I play with this card a ton in standard, in historic. I'm a big fan of this card. Sometimes I think of it as a two mana, two, two haste that has unblockable the, terms, uh, the turn it comes in. Sometimes with upside. Yeah, I mean, that that's more or less how you want to think about it, right? This type of card makes you think aggression and generally we've seen it in constructed formats in like mono red burn slash aggro style decks so i think that also feeds into that mentality but it doesn't have to be right it can it can be a two drop that you play on turn two domes your opponent for a couple damage and then just keeps you alive until you can cast your demanding dragon right like it might might chump or trade or something but it, it's an early play that has some higher upside and is going to let you get to the late game to play your big dragons here so i wouldn't really fault you for taking the pyromancer but definitely have meteor golem and inferno hellion still in the list and i probably have hellion and meteor golem above it just because you're going to be able to pick up other two drops this is a core set there's going to be lots of little dorky red creatures lots of goblins running around now i think Vashino pyromancer might be the correct pick overall. I think Meteor Golem, as strong as, as this kind of card is, I would only ever see a deck with the Golem and both dragons if it's some sort of larger red-green style thing with some ramp maybe, um, some elves, some other good fight spells, that type of thing. Definitely. I had never done this format before, this core set chaos draft type thing. One thing I was considering was that in M20 and M21, the packs that I'm getting after this, there's some very strong, aggressive red creatures, especially in M21, where we see just beat down after beat down deck. So my plan here was to go for a low to the ground type of, of red deck. Now, I think Meteor Golem is a, now I would actually rank it 
under the Pyromancer here. So I was between the Pyromancer and the Hellion. I think this deck would love as many Pyromancers as it could get. You'd play five and be perfectly happy about it. But I took the Hellion, and I'd like to say why. People don't know how to play against Inferno Hellion. I have seen it so many times. And I, I mean, after this, I get, I guess, a significant chunk of people, around like 200 or so listeners, will have a better idea of how you should play Hellion. You should take the damage. Always take the damage. Uh, unless it would literally kill you, take the damage off Inferno Hellion. Because this thing, it's going away anyway. It is essentially a four mana deal seven. And then you have the ability to... Uh, it can be tempting to to block it because it's it's like I'm dangling it. It's like, ooh, like look at that. You, you could block it, but really you should treat this as a four mana deal seven. Let me justify why. I had an opponent that double trumped this. They, they put a two three and a two two in front of it because they were afraid of their lowering life total. I'd already been beating down on the first few turns. When that happened, I was ecstatic <laughs> because you know why? It was the only two creatures they had, and I had a demanding dragon I was about to play. They just died on my next turn. So yeah. Inferno Hellion, as awful as it can feel to take that damage, I do believe you're genuinely supposed to do it. It's a strong card uh, when, when used correctly. I, I also don't recommend blocking with it. That's not how you use it. But I took Inferno Hellion because I had a funny feeling that most people would not know how to interact with it. If someone spends a removal spell on this, then you're also pretty happy because, again, it's going away anyway. Because of all those things and the fact that it is a four mana deal seven, which is exactly what this kind of deck wanted, uh, I, I slammed it here. And I will say this deck was fantastic. You can go check it out in the trophy deck section in the Discord. Just a little uh, toot my <laughs> nice own plug. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think uh, I think on a on a pure power level perspective, I have Meteor Golem above Pyromancer. In a deck that's shaping up to be what you have here, it certainly isn't quite that powerful because you should probably have your opponent dead by turn seven. That said, I think you're at a point, even though it's only pick three, you're at a point where you can kind of start to gauge what type of deck you are going to be putting together or what you're going to be looking to put together. Obviously, you're hoping to just stay in this mono-red sort of section that you're in, but whether or not you want to move to a super-aggressive standpoint or stay in this sort of mid-rangey, pseudo-late-game, big-red deck it has yet to be determined, and I think taking the Hellkite kind of leans you towards the middle ground on that. If you were to stick to the two-drops and keep super-heavy on the two-drops, you'd get to that more aggro with a couple of good top-end finishers, but definitely can't can't fault you for taking the Hellion and can't really argue with the results either. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, of you know this deck, I will say one of our former Draft Shaft heroes made it in. One of the two white cards in this deck was a Seasoned Halloblade. The other one was Heroic Reinforcements. Halloblade's phenomenal. Anyway, let's get into the Teferi and Tybalt this week. Wait, Teferi and Tybalt? We're back? What's going on? Yeah, so we've we we piloted the Keeper Mole for two episodes. We did get feedback on that change and general consensus was basically just keep doing our thing and uh we're happy to do that so teferi tibble is back and it kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit better than uh, keeper mull um so that's where we're at that said if you're not familiar with the teferi tibble teferi tibble is a section where ben and i kind of highlight one good thing that happened last week and one bad thing that happened last week yeah, we had episodes back to back this week, but we do actually have different Teferi Tibbolts for them. So let's get into that. Hopefully, you guys got the joke on that. I'm not going to say anything more about the, uh, the Fool's joke on the Keeper Mall last week. Why don't you kick us off, Ben? Sure. So, I actually, as of recording this, I have exactly one day of school left before spring break. By the time people are listening to this, I will be on spring break and I will probably be uh, asleep or relaxing or, or playing magic or, or doing something fun. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. 
And something else that I, I encountered, one of my students, uh, I spotted an Ultra Pro deck box on their desk. I was like, what's going on there, dude? And he's like, oh, it's, it's Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I play with another teacher um, and a few other friends after school. And I'm like, I didn't even know there was other people at this school that, that are into card games. It's a relatively small school. And I, I stopped by after school. Turns out the teacher is like a diehard legacy player. Nice. Uh, and, and like legacy and like old school magic been playing for ages and i walk in and i'm like oh uh, I, at first i thought it was magic he was like wait oh my god magic is such a better game than Yu-Gi-Oh." and i was like okay <laughs> thank you like let, let's let's teach these kids how to really play and he was like oh thank god let's, let's so let's do this so uh, literally after five minutes of talking we're already considering getting a box of like strixhaven or maybe a core set something easy uh, that a bunch of students could get introduced to i'm whipping up some uh, like intro decks that i'm gonna order for them Maybe even I might have some local game stores, see if we can get some like donations or that kind of thing. Yeah, they'll they'll be very happy to hand off some draft chaff, I'm sure. Oh, oh, I, the, these students are going to learn with draft chaff. You have that for sure. And uh, I would say my tibble this week. Well, the weather keeps mocking me. I, I don't know. It, it, every morning I go outside and there's like frost on my windshield again. <laughs> but and then by the end of the day, it's like 70. I don't know what's happening. How is it possible for the weather to be this screwy with me? Like what's going on? Is it doing that for you too? Uh, I don't leave my apartment anymore, given that I work at home <laughs> and have no other hobbies that I need to leave my building for. So, no. <laughs> have you ever opened that big window next to you? That thing, <laughs> it takes up half the screen. Yeah, um, occasionally. I mean, I like to get some fresh air in, but outside of that, I don't have to go check the car for dew or, or frost or anything. So. All right, all right, whatever. <laughs> How about you? So, I'll start with my Tybalt because it's kind of sad, but my Teferi is pretty happy so maybe we can we can round this out on a happy note tybalt is some of you know i started a fish tank i i've been getting into fish keeping saga I, continues i've recently got three cory cats are like really small catfish yeah and they're like bottom feeders and they're they're good for keeping the bottom of the tank clean all three of them died oh no yeah so and and the problem is oh no I am a, like a, a meticulous neurotic person. I check the water quality well before I put any fish in it. I've been checking it daily to make sure that everything's looking good. And the test kit I have is still registering that the water is good. So I don't know if they died of shock or what happened, but they, and they dropped <laughs> off like one day separated from each other. So one died and then the next day another died and then the last day another died. So it's really sad. I was like kind of depressed about it yesterday. I'm going to give it a couple weeks and let the tank continue its cycle before I get any more fish. But yeah, I'm pretty sad. I didn't name them yet though. So I guess that, that's right. good. Can I give you a really cruel diagnosis? What's that? You just didn't love them enough. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for this episode. We'll, uh, we'll be back. I thought we were done with the April Fool's nonsense. Okay, okay. No, to, uh, to be fair, if anyone was going to have every condition perfectly right for the fish, it would be you. So this is pretty shocking. Uh, I, I will say I saw uh, Zach had a picture of it at some point. I noticed his, his aquarium gravel was blue-red. Uh, I was expecting it to be blue-white or mono-blue. Can you comment on that? Is there a shift in your color identity? What's going on here? Well, apparently I'm a lore hold, so there has been a minor shift, but I'm still in the Jeskai colors, and I think red-blue fits into that just, just fine as well. Um, but fair, really, fair. The, the real answer is I bought red gravel because it was going to look good with the fish I was planning to put in the tank, and I didn't buy enough of it, so I went to the pet store, and all they had left was blue gravel. So there you have it. Well, hopefully uh, the, the next batch fares a little bit better. Maybe they just need some, you know more uh more time to adjust i don't know i'm not i'm no fish expert i'm, I'm sure you'll figure it out yeah um 
Well, that brings me to my Teferi, and that is, I have an appointment, actually, at the time that this episode has released, I have already received my first dose of the COVID-19 vaccination, so. Hey, nice, nice. Yeah, super excited about that, hopefully it goes well. I don't know which vaccine I'm getting, so I might only have one dose if I get the uh, the J&J one, but Mm. um, we'll see. Well, as soon as you're uh, as soon as you're fully vaccinated, you're coming to my apartment. We're doing something. I don't know what, but it's going to be something. Sounds good to me. That brings us to our listener question of the week. This week, Batwheels asks, serious question, if you could be one animal from Magic's lore, what would it be? Super cool question. Ooh, yeah. Oh man, fantastic. Um now I I interpreted this as like specific card creatures. So the ones that came up on the top of my head uh, I consider myself a pretty oceanic person, so hedron crab, uh, not ruin crab. Ruin crab's annoying. Hedron <laughs> crab because hedron crab can target yourself, makes it better. River hoopoo also came to mind. I, I identify with. I don't know. It, it's a pretty fun looking and like uh, pretty upbeat, uh, like like colorful bird that's just sitting above this horrifying river of blood, <laughs> and I can relate to to trying to keep an upbeat, fun attitude as the, the world seems to be uh, kind of going nuts around you um i would also say outland boar i just have kind of a proclivity for big pigs and magic something about just slamming a big pig is is nice i I can relate to that and uh finally gloom pangolin one of our original chaff cards that that kind of inspired our art um this this pangolin i don't know i just sometimes uh, as nice as everything can be it'd be pretty cool to just be able to roll up into a small ball of armor and just sit around for a while (laughs) That's true. That's true. So I didn't know exactly how to interpret this question. I wasn't sure if it was just a creature type of some kind, if it was supposed to be a card of some kind. And I didn't actually know what constitutes animal, right? There are a lot of non-humanoid creatures that are very intelligent. So I wasn't sure if that counts as animal, but my list is a few that I think would be really fun to be. And then my basically my favorite creature types in, in magic. A few that would be pretty fun to be would be a sphinx because they're super knowledgeable and also just awesome. That's that's one of my favorite creature types. Dragons would be cool. How, how could it not be cool to be a dragon? Um, I like elementals a lot. I think it would be really fun to be an elemental of some kind. I don't know what element I would want to be. Probably hmm. something air-related. And uh, favorite creature types would be spirit and bird. I am a big bird fan, so that's that's where I'm at. Let's get into our main topic today. We're hitting up the Draft Chaff Hero episode. These are, these are always pretty fun. Now, like Zach mentioned earlier, we focus on a particular common, uncommon, or otherwise bulk rare that has had a pretty significant impact on the limited environment. So this chaff has somehow risen above the rest of the chaff. So you can pick it up for your casual decks, uh, maybe even your commander decks. In our case today, I think this could actually potentially be a commander. Now, sometimes our Draft Chaff Hero, uh, it can break in a standard as well. We actually have a pretty good track record for this. Uh, Seasoned Hallowblade and Ruin Crab have both seen significant standard play since our naming them Draft Chaff Heroes. So uh, I don't want to say that we have been influencers upon the standard meta, and potentially the historic meta, but I'm also not going to not say that. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, sounds right to uh, me. Our Draft Chaff Hero today, if you haven't guessed it, is Svela Ice Shaper. Now, we're going to break down several different aspects of Svela and talk about the different ways this card can play out in Limited and why it's actually so great. So, Zach, do you want to run us through the card itself? Yeah, so if you haven't been playing much Kaldheim or you're not, you're just generally not familiar with the card off the top of your head, Svela Ice Shaper is one red-green for a 2-4 legendary snow creature troll warrior at Uncommon. 
and it has two activated abilities, the first of which is three generic mana and tap. Create a colorless snow artifact token named Icy Manalith with tap, add one mana of any color. So for three mana, you tap Svela, you get a mana rock that taps for any color. Notably, it's a snow permanent as well. The second activated ability is six red green and tap Svela. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So right off the bat, it's a one red green, so three mana, two four which is fine. Stat-wise, you're pretty much on par, right? You got six points of stats for three mana. Sounds good to me. But it's a snow creature, which matters a lot, and Svela is really responsible for the bonker snow decks being the bonker snow decks, right? Anytime you see a snow deck that doesn't have Svela, you can immediately write it off as one of the lower echelon snow decks. Uh, there are exceptions, of course, but uh, when we had Sirkovitz on, we talked about how all of the top snow decks had Svela in. It's just where she belongs and what she's good at doing. Now, notably, these are some pretty important power and toughness stats. There's a lot of pretty solid to even all right to playable commons that are three ones, three twos. And a lot of these have boast abilities. You have Tuscary Firewalker uh, or the Explorer. So, so these creatures, to get full value out of them, they have to be attacking. So when your opponent plays a Tuscary Firewalker and you play a Svela and they don't happen to have a, a run amok or an equipment in hand, then that Tuscary Firewalker is probably either just going to you know, run into Svela and hope to hit something, in which case you probably made out like a bandit on that exchange, or that is not attacking at all. Yeah, four toughness can definitely be pretty difficult to break through in this format. A lot of the more aggressive decks in the format um, don't really have high enough power to get through that. As Ben was mentioning, there are a lot of three Xs, which makes Svela a fantastic blocker when you do want to use her as a blocker. And she's great when you don't want to block with her because you can just tap her. All of those abilities that I mentioned there are usable at instant speed, right? So that means she doesn't have to block. She doesn't have to attack. She can just sit and activate those abilities on your opponent's end step and get a ton of value that way. Now, notably, uh, she pairs pretty well with Arnie Slays the Troll. Again, because of all of those creatures that uh, her stats match up so well against, Arnie Slays the Troll just kind of forces the issue. <laughs> you know, it's like, all yeah. right, you are going to have this fight and... Well, it usually works out pretty well. She's not a bad one to dump those counters on either. Yeah, it's pretty. she's pretty greatly statted on both sides of the spectrum. There are a lot of X2s and lower, and then there are a lot of X, uh, a lot of 3Xs that don't, don't eat her up. So definitely great positioning for the stat block. She's also generally just a must-kill threat for your opponent, and you love to see your opponent point their best removal spells at your 3-drops, right? It's fantastic when you have this piece on the board that's not really... It's furthering your game plan, but it's not really pressuring them in any way. And they have to they have to kill her because if she's left alone, the ramp potential she generates and even that eventual card advantage that she produces can just be overwhelming. We like to talk about upsides and downsides and ceilings and floors, right? I would say this fella has a very high floor, or very high to like middle floor, just a, a three mana, two, four. It being a legend is a little bit of a downside. Once you start jamming like four in a deck, then you you start running into some issues curving out. But a three mana two four is generally pretty good in the set. And then the ceiling is just I don't know where, where does it stop? <laughs> like it's it's as big as you can dream, right? Uh, you can cast any card in the set because both of her activated abilities can be activated at instant speed. This tends to negate that that you know tapping drawback and and allows you to play a more controlling game plan. So the the, the downside of having to tap out with her is kind of made up for the fact that you're getting a mana rock back, right? So because you invested three mana in this, 
it's not like you're investing three mana for some other effect that's not furthering anything. Uh, it's not like this is like three mana draw a card, which wouldn't further your, your board state, or three mana scry, which doesn't really do anything. This is actively adding to your mana base. And not only is it adding to your mana base, it's adding a, a mana source of any color. And it's also a snow permanent. Yeah, this hits on so many different axes. And it's also, you know, it's not like a treasure token, which you sack and that's it. It The icy manaliths stick around for as long as you have them or as, as long as your opponent doesn't destroy them. So it's actively ramping you in a permanent fashion. It's ramping you outside of, uh, you know, like a single use or something, which is huge. And, of course, another reason why the snow... Outside of just the fact that they can take uh, all the dual snow lands, it's another reason why the snow decks are so capable of splashing, right? They can just generate all these isomanalysts, and then they don't have to care about their... It's <laughs> a build-your-own chromatic lantern, I suppose. Like, they just don't care. They, they make all these manaliths, and suddenly they're dropping cards that you didn't even expect to be in their deck because they never played any lands of those colors. Now, another cool play pattern is you can pass with another instant speed, three-drop effect up, maybe a Broken Wings or a Demon Bolt or a reduced-cost squash or something like that. And if your opponent does something you need to interact with, well, then uh, you can just fire it off and, and, you know, you didn't really lose anything from that. That was just a good exchange. Uh, if they don't do anything you need to interact with, well, then just, uh, you know, make that monolith anyway. And then I guess you can, well, d- depending on how many lands you've got, you might still be able to cast that instant speed squash. Her ultimate ability or quote unquote ultimate ability is kind of reminiscent of cards like Golos or Aetherworks Marvel, both of which have just been some of the strongest cards in their respective formats. She somehow is basically perfectly tuned for limited right like you're never sad to see her in a pack in fact most of the time you're excited and she just somehow isn't like a dud anywhere all of these different axes she hits on mm-hmm. at the same time she doesn't feel too good aetherworks marvel was too good because of the hits you could get off of it right but Svela, i mean even though it is a very strong effect and it it does evoke that feeling of oh god what are they going to hit Sometimes your opponent misses, or sometimes they just get like a two drop that they, it was the only thing that they saw. So despite all of this this power, I think this is a really great design for limited. Absolutely. Uh, I was going through and trying to think of what some of the best hits are for Svela, and I think my, my ranking is somewhere around like Pacmate and Linworm are probably the two best creatures you want to find off of her, besides like, you know, your A-plus bombs. And then assorted random removal spells, Demon Bolt, Struggle for Skemfar. Uh, additionally, the ability to spin her at instant speed can really force your opponent to get into some awkward scenarios. For example, if you pass with, uh, the, the mana up to activator and your opponent has two four fours, I mean, usually you'd feel pretty safe running two four fours into a Svela, but knowing that because they have green in their deck, there's that chance that they're going to hit a Linworm and just blow you out. You really have to respect it and just sit back and do nothing, which against a deck that is then going to be making use of its mana anyway, you're, you're going to be spinning the wheel no matter what, but the ability to hold it up and wait until the last possible moment to do so is just really strong. For sure. And I think to go back to the way you were talking about tuning, you know, the interesting aspect that Stella has that, you know, some of the other cards like Aetherworks Marvel didn't really have is the added value potential was so much higher on those cards than it is for Svela. You just mentioned... I mean, one of the best hits you mentioned here is a four drop. Yeah. So, like, the the cost on Svela's activated ability, eight mana is not a small amount of mana, even when you're ramping all this with, with the Icy Mantle and such. One of the best cards you can hit when I... And, and one of the most expensive cards you can hit reliably is Lindworm, and that's still only six mana, right? So you're costing yourself mana to get this effect, but 
you still have have some great hits. It's flexible in when you can cast it. So I think that was a balance they had to strike in order for this to actually be a card that isn't completely busted. By the time you activate Svela, you're probably seeing, what, like one-fifth of your remaining deck? By that point, usually by the time you're spinning the wheel, you're down to like 20 to 25 cards in your library. So you're seeing a good chunk of stuff. By that point, you might have also searched out some lands or other things. So you're likely to get your hits. So Svela's ability to give you both selection and card draw in the late game really just helps you slam the door on games and, and make sure you find the cards you need in the late game. Yeah, absolutely. We touched on the prevalence of Snow Decks in Kaldheim, but obviously any of those Svela is just absolutely amazing in. She really brings them all together and connects the, the separate potential pieces that that archetype has. Um, her Manaliths being Snow Permanents as well turn on your Snow Matters cards. And then as we said before, it, it also means that she can facilitate splashes because they they tap for any man of any color so can't really go wrong adding her in those decks mm -hmm. i'm stunned that you didn't mention the pun that you wrote down in the notes here you, you literally typed out that the prevalence of snow decks in kaldheim is snow secret <laughs> come on <laughs> you have to take credit for that in you know at the end of it i just it was a little too cringe i, I couldn't go through with it <laughs> There's no such thing as a fun to cringe. Well, uh, one thing about these manaliths, the fact that they are both snow permanents, which count towards your snow permanent uh, like count, and that they count as snow mana sources is huge because it seems that this hits on both of the, the two main axes that snow tends to care about, which is the number of snow mana sources that you have of different colors, mind you. So this one just automatically does it for everything. Something like a Boreal Outrider, this will always trigger. Uh, your your Berg Strider, even if you didn't have a blue source before, this works for that. Uh, and, and the fact that this counts for the the, the snow matters, uh, the number of snow permanents you have, it really is fantastic. I, I guess the, the one place this doesn't work is the the Blight Priest, not not Blight Priest. Um, um, you know the one I'm talking about. I'm, I'm thinking Blight Priest. Wow, Zendikar rising anybody? <laughs> the Priest of the Haunted Edge, rather. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's for sure. So typically, we would break down all the different archetypes that this card sees play in. But honestly, in this case, it's actually a bit easier and a little bit quicker to describe the card, the archetypes that this card doesn't belong to, right? <laughs> yeah. So basically, you've got two sets of decks that this card doesn't belong. Anything white-based. Typically, she's too slow for aggressive decks and doesn't really fit in their game plans anyway. Aggressive decks and pretty much every white-based deck in this format is an aggressive deck. They don't want to be generating extra mana like this. They don't want to be dumping their mana into ramping or generating these big uh, card selection effects. They just want to dump their creatures on the board and get you dead. Yeah. And likewise, green-red aggro is another one that this card, even though it fits the colors, doesn't really fit the game plan for this archetype. But basically, anything else is free game for Svela. I'll be honest. I still play her in my red-green aggro decks. I just think she's so good to the point where... Well, in, in uh, some of them, that's actually correct. I, I'm not saying in all of them, but in the, the aggressive strategies, she generally isn't isn't uh, where you want to be. Yeah, some of them were low-to-the-ground ones, for sure. But any of the mid-rangey red-green decks, I'd say, um, yeah, j just it, it's a power-level inclusion, as I like to say. Yeah. Um, that kind of late-game card advantage can break a board stall or save your life once you've run out of the gas and you really need a top deck. I don't think there's a card in this format that you want a top deck in the late game more than Svela. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully this has been a, a good hard sell in case any of you weren't convinced that Svela is the, the best draft shop card in the set. As for her applicability in constructed formats, I don't know. She might be a little bit weaker, unlike something like Season Talon Blade or, or the Crab. She doesn't have a design that's super conducive for standard, uh, given that by nature this is a mana sync card, and there are typically better ways to be using your mana 
like this one's kind of limited focused because you know sometimes you just run out of the cards in your hand and limited but when was the last time you played a game of standard and you didn't have a card in your hand when you died yeah i mean the other thing to consider too is that like what does this card really care about it it cares about being snow or like the snow theme and it cares mm-hmm. about ramping you into bigger stuff and there are just way better ways to do that. Like you look at Sultai Ultimatum in standard right now, it does yeah. it way faster than Svela can. So, and, and she's a legend, so it's not like you can stack her up or anything like that. So I don't really ever see her making it in typical constructed, like 60 card constructed formats. Maybe she'll show up in commander in like casual, the casual side of things. I don't think we'll ever yeah. see her in like CEDH or anything like that, but probably not. She might stay bench for a while, but maybe she'll wind up in the cube someday. Could be, could be. If we ever end up adding snow to that, that definitely she would certainly be on the chopping block at least to to be added to the cube for sure. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. Hopefully uh, we gave you a little bit of information on Spell that you didn't already have or insights that you hadn't thought of. As always, if you're interested in chatting more about this episode or any other episode or any of the different content coming out for Magic the Gathering these days, especially with the new set on the horizon. Best place to go for that sort of thing is our Discord. As I said before, you can check out the link to that in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you're interested in giving back to the show, you can do so via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. If you want to reach out to me directly outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter as well at Rannick Alfredian. You can find Ben at Betafish1 or the podcast directly at draftchaffpod. You can also email us at draftchaffpod at gmail.com. That's it for us, and we'll see you next week. No no special episode coming on Thursday of next week. So before we go, I wanted to mention an anomaly that I discovered. Now, just when I thought I had finally gotten down the ranking system, I thought I finally understood it and how, how limited top 1200 works. I have been taking some mental data every time I'm in the top 1200. I've noticed that the drift is approximately 30 places per day when you're in the top 1200. So if you're mythic ranked, you have a number. And then if you get past like 14 or 1500 or so, you get a percentage and it goes like 99% all the way down to, I don't know, I've seen as low as 50. Um, Now, I thought that if you're in the top 1200, you drift by around 30 places a day. Then there was the one season where uh, the the qualifier at the end was sealed, uh, which everyone was excited about. A ton more people started playing. And the drift during that uh, season was around 50 to 60. Now, I noticed today, it's no longer that. It's back to standard, so the, the hype has died down. I have been tracking it. I, I hit, like, I think I was up by, like, 300 when I first made Mythic. And I've been following my drift ever since. I thought I was going to be fine. Last night at midnight, when I went to bed, uh, I had, like, Arena still open on my other tab. I closed that. I noticed I was at uh, 1,000. I think it was actually 998. And I was thinking, okay, there's no way I'm going to drift 200 spots in like what it usually closes at 3 p.m so like in like half a day hours yeah so i'm thinking i've got to be safe so i get i get back from school today and i'm like i should just double check on arena just just to be safe it was 2 p.m and 3 p.m is when the season ended and what do i see but that i'm at 12 18 and i go wait a minute (laughs) what happened here dude you're telling me i drifted by around 30 spots a day as my hypothesis would predict uh every single day except for the last 15 hours by which I fell over 200 spots. What's going on here? So it gets stranger because I drafted uh, the, the Corset Cube, as we saw in my, in my uh, uh, crack draft thing today. And I won my first game. And you know what rank I shot up to after I won my first game? 1,500. <laughs> 600. Jeez. 600. I shot up 600 ranks. 
So that really threw me for a loop. At, the first, at first, I thought it was a glitch. So I like closed that arena. I opened it back up because at this point, there's like 30 minutes until the season ends. I'm like, I'd, I'd like to make the championship qualifier this, this time around. And it, I, it had even drifted by a few spots. I was down to like 640. I was like, okay, I guess a single win occasionally that's that, you 600 points. That makes me wonder though, like what rank did you send the, the, your opponent to? How many points did they, <laughs> they just They just got banished. <laughs> like what are they sent back to the percentages or something? Like, geez. Oh my God. The, they were they were at 99%. They're probably oh, sitting okay. at like, two percent now oh yeah yeah they're, they're gone that actually could have done it though i think and i could be completely wrong about this but i'm pretty sure the amount the ranks that you gain on a win or relative to the the rank that your opponent uh, was that you beat hmm. i don't know if that's true like i think if you're number one and well that's a bad example too because then you have nowhere to go but if you're like if you're rank like 100 and you play against rank like 300 and you beat them, you're going to gain fewer ranks than if you were rank 300 beating a rank 100, I think. Hmm. That sounds about right. It would make sense that it skews as it's going up. I haven't taken very good data because on that because usually when, once I'm around like 200, 300, I just stop and I let the drift happen. Right, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think uh, some more data must be must be acquired on this. I'm sure there's some some minds out there that maybe if I take enough data, I can you know, ask for some help from some some... If only we knew people that were good at data analysis, wouldn't that be yeah, nice? We definitely haven't asked, like, talked to somebody explicitly about that on the show. That, that would be oh, well. crazy. 